podcast hosting for the Run With It podcast is provided by Transistor.fm. Welcome to Run With It, where we bring you business ideas from proven founders. Each episode, you'll hear a new business idea and the exact steps our guests would take to get started. We're your hosts, Chris, Justin, and Ethan Janney. And on today's episode, we have Mo Abbas. He is the CEO and co-founder of Acadium, a platform that matches digital marketing apprentices with business owners. They're disrupting the education system by providing relevant and free training opportunities to apprentices while also helping business owners grow at very little cost. Mo started from nothing and bootstrapped himself from selling landscaping services door-to-door as a teenager to growing his housing contracting company to $10 million a year by his mid-20s. And now he's building Acadium and changing the future of education. That all sounds great, Ethan. Mo the lawnmower to tech entrepreneur, but we want to know how we can do the same. Mo, you've got an idea for our listener to upend the mask industry, smart masks. How did you come up with this idea? Honestly, I, I was at a grocery store and I was I had the mask on. I could barely breathe in the mask and it was just super annoying and it looked terrible and it was just wasn't a natural feeling. And then I was just thinking there's tens of millions, hundreds of millions of people right now that have adopted face masks. And in China and in, in the East, it's actually a very common practice, face masks. And I just I was looking at it and I'm just like, I can't believe nobody's designed a smart face mask. Like there's this thing that goes on your face for a large part of the day. For a lot of people, it's all day, in fact. And you know, the face is a very sacred thing. It's the most important part of your body is the face. We have a huge amount of our brains dedicated to processing faces, actually. Specifically, we're really good at processing faces as humans. And you have this thing that's just covering your face. And they're just like disposable. They're low quality. They're not really thought through. And then you look at something like shoes, where it's like, I have a lot of pairs of shoes. And or like shirts or other apparel. And people spend a huge amount of money to associate themselves with these brands and their style and their functionality. And and here you have like a universal face mask that everybody has to wear. It's a lot of wear. Nobody says, I got to wear a shoe. I got to wear a face mask everywhere now, right? So, and I just thought there's got to be a better way. I'm going to interrupt you here for a quick second just to kind of review where we're at. So what I'm getting from you is that, and this is a very interesting perspective. I've never heard it before that thinking about, yeah, my face is sacred, you know, and, and, and I do know, you know, as somebody who studied psychology and neuroscience, you know, how much of our brain is dedicated to processing faces, for example. And like you said, this, that's a, such a weird thing to have to deal with. And in these moments, you're hiding some of the most expressive parts of your face. I love how you're bringing these things into the equation. And you told us before the episode that you've even gone so far as to, to patent something about this idea, right? So you're really passionate about this. There's very few opportunities that come around where you could build very significant companies where consumer behavior changes this rapidly. So the opportunity that I see is not just in a mask design, but it's in a wearable device that you wear on your face. This is very valuable real estate. And if we could design a mask 
that is really a piece of technology. It's not a fabric, although fabric is an important part of it. I see smart mask as a wearable platform. I am coming back to this problem definition. And I still, I think that the listener may have an unanswered question in the back of their head or an objection, at least I do, which is uh, how do I know that this behavior is going to persist in two years, right? Most people did not want to believe that the pandemic would last as long as it has. And personally, even I have a hard time imagining that people are still wearing masks a year from now. And if you're investing all of the money to research this highly technological device that your market size is going to compress by 95%. Let's say there's still people wearing masks in um, highly polluted cities across the world, but not everyone would be wearing it. How, how do you think about that risk? There's two ways of, of looking at it. One is you look at the East and in China and in Japan, where this isn't a new thing for them. Before COVID, everyone's wearing masks. You go outside, you wear a mask. So just the market in the East, which is a very stable market, has shown that masks persist. It's going to persist in the East. It will persist for sure. It has before COVID. They've had significant SARS outbreaks. There's a lot of concerns with the high density in the cities of diseases. So people are very cautious and they would just wear masks everywhere they go. But Forget about the East for a second. If you look at just the West, there will be a subset of people that will be continuing to wear masks even after the pandemic. Pandemic is not going away. There'll be another pandemic, another pandemic, another pandemic, not quite maybe a pandemic, but there'll be a lot of situations where there's a lot of awareness now. Well, first of all, you're making me think of a lot of things I never thought of before, just about masks, about the face, about breathing, which I love. There's a lot of directions you can go. Um, I guess we'll get into those things later. But but one of the things that you didn't mention explicitly, hospitals, like they got to wear masks all the time for various reasons. And what, you know, the hospital is already like this cold, you know, disinterested place where everybody's like, I'm going to go to the hospital and that's where I'm going to die. And it's going to be you know, it's not going to be cool. It's going to be cold and there's going to be beeps and it's just this foreign area. Like why not just one more thing to make a more personal experience with your doctor, even for example, right? Is there a way to make a mask such that, you know, doctors don't look like some weird, like the same as somebody who's cleaning out soot from a chimney or something, right? I mean, they could look like somebody's friendly. So I don't know if that's part of the plan, but I think that's a very interesting uh, way to think about this. And also just in terms of breathing, I love that you brought in this factor of, of like the breath being so important. And I know I look at my watch and it'll track my heart rate, right? And there's different apps that are trying to track your track your brain waves and things like that. Water intake. I don't know if a mask could do water intake, but I've always thought that's a hard one to track, but yeah, breath, your breath to track that kind of thing. Like how is your breath uh, going? That, that, that could be a very valuable thing. A lot of people are interested in knowing what their breathing rate is. Yeah, exactly. And you know, when I, when I think about the applications utility, I don't think anybody really thought that they needed an iPod because there was a Walkman and people like the Walkman and nobody really thought they needed a cell phone. There's regular phones that exist. Like, so it's, I, I'm not sure that this is something that people, the key thing is when they see it and the utility of it and the beauty of it and the, and, and the effectiveness, they're going to want it. And when I say smart maps, I mentioned breathing, but it's actually the key thing is audiovisual. Okay, this is a platform 
Do you have a camera on the mask? Do you have a microphone on the mask? Do you have a speaker on the mask? Do you have these other sensors on the mask? Why is this a key thing? You can imagine just wearing it around your neck, click it up, now you're masked, now you're getting clean air, okay? But now you also have audiovisual. So you could be with your family at a park or in a hotel or whatever, and you want to take a photo or a video, and it's done. It's just boom, you're recording at that point. You could be in a riot. You could be with a police officer. You could be seeing something that doesn't look right. And instead of whooping out your phone and like, you're just, it's there on your face and it's just on and you're recording. Nobody really like, it's just there. It's always there. The audio and visual is always available to you with the mask. This is, or you can imagine like having a mask and doing, having a speaker where I, I speak into my mask and then it translates into another language in real time. I'm having a conversation in Spanish, speaking English. And then vice versa, it's picking up the audio in Spanish and I have my AirPods and they're synced to my mask. And then it's picking that up into my AirPods as well. So I can have a conversation in other languages, right? I think that's one of the interesting uh, things about it is it's uh, it's got built-in virality in a way. People are seeing people are seeing it. People are seeing how you use it. And I'm picturing uh, this is getting into into some of the tactics here a little bit. But I'm picturing when you buy a Kindle, you can buy a version that has sponsored content on it, right? And if you have this smart device. <laughs> It's dystopian, but imagine advertisements on it. And it could be even more subtle, right? It could be uh, air quality index of some sort that's just di displayed. And everyone around you is like, oh my God, I'm breathing in, you know, whatever PPM of, of uh, toxins <laughs> right now. And, and this is being filtered out by this guy's mask. That, that would be very compelling. So let's, let's talk about a similar idea that has been, has a fraught history, right? And also, by the way, if it's not obvious to the listener, if you're looking for a trend to hop onto, wearables has been expanding, expanding, expanding. I remember back in, you know, 2005 or 2010, when it was just, I went to a wearables convention, it's like wearables is the future, but it still is the future. There's still going to be tons and tons more wearable technologies. So Google Glass, I, I, I was, I was, I'll just say it. It sounds very awkward. I was a glass hole. I got a Google glass <laughs> and I was excited about it. And to be honest, I continued to be excited about it. One interesting thing is I brought it to Peru when I traveled to Peru and it didn't have the kind of stigma that it had in the United States. So in the United States, it became like this symbol of like, if you're wearing one of these, you're either you're like monitoring me constantly, or you're just showing off that you have enough money to spend on it. Improve just people were excited about it. But what I what I want to bring up here is like you've brought up a couple of things that the Google Glass had to really struggle with. Now they're manufacturing it, but now it's more about private industry and 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 not uh, you know sort of like something that's cool. But your your mask seems like it's got some of these these characteristics, right? Like, do I want to see that thing if I know it's always filming me, or it could possibly be like catching me in something all all the time? And also, is it a thing where it, it has like a built-in stigma? You know, so I just want to throw these things out there because there's there's a little bit of uh, precedent. There's been a, a, a rumor; it's been, it's leaked in the last couple of days that Apple's uh, releasing AR headset glasses like specific glasses and they look great at least in the rumors they look great um i think we're a little past that point because of what's happening in the world there's i hate to say it but there's a lack of trust out there right now 
And, you know, you, you got police officers that are just shooting people left, right and center and not being held accountable unless they're recorded. Right. You've got situations where uh, riots are happening. You've got situations where, you know, the, the public right now has to wear masks. It's, it's kind of a mandatory thing. So they, they, a lot of people have accepted it. A lot of people don't like it. A lot of people have accepted it than, than don't otherwise. Um, but, you know, I think a lot of it with the Google Glass is the timing was just way off. It was just not the right time for that. It really, really wasn't. And now the timing is a lot better. And you'd have to solve those challenges. Like you can't be intrusive, right? Like you can't. Snapchat tried to do the same. Snapchat, AR glasses. The utility wasn't there. The other thing is that people, at least at this time, point in time, have kind of a quote unquote excuse to wear a mask, right? So it's like, you got to wear a mask anyways. So like put on this cool, smart mask and, you know, versus the Google Glass, where it's like, ah, people had no excuse to put that thing on really, just kind of make you stand out in a crowd. I want to make sure we cover some, I guess, action steps. We can start getting into this kind of thing. So, you know, you've already gone to the process of of getting a patent on this. And, and this is interesting. I don't think we've had somebody share an idea that they've said that they patented before. So it's interesting to kind of bring that to the table. So that's a step in your process. You kind of have an idea, you kind of build it out enough to, to put a patent together. But I'm focused on Acadian because the mission of Acadian is very important. And, you know, we're trying to provide job training opportunities for everyone around the world for free. And as you know, tens of millions of people have now become unemployed growing every single day. The cost of getting job training is extremely high because it's done through higher education, which is extremely costly, takes a long time. So we had this crazy idea that what if we can get businesses to train candidates for the job market? And that's what we built through our apprenticeship program. And we want to bring this to as many people as possible around the world. So that's my focus right now. It's a, it's a social impact company. It's also could become a very, very large successful company. Um, so I can't actually build this, but if I were to build it, so the first thing was a design and design patent. And then the next thing is put a Kickstarter, a landing page and you sell it. And then you build a prototype. And if, and if this sells really, really well, you take the prototype, you go to investors, you raise a ton of money, you start building it out at that point. And then you figure out the manufacturing, et cetera, et cetera. So you check the demand before anything else. We're always trying to get our listeners, you know, although sometimes it's hard and maybe, maybe, maybe we're asking too much of listeners, but to take action and to take action quickly. Right. And I, I would say that this is one of those ideas where it's like, you, time is ripe, right? We've had other ideas. Oh, start a window cleaning business, start, you know, start something that's not so contemporaneous, but I, I love that you brought this Kickstarter idea to the table. It's, it's kind of, perfect for Kickstarter, right? It's kind of like Kickstarter is a great place if you have something very quirky and unique that like a, that, that the early adopters can get excited about and, and, and get interested in. And it's also perfect for Kickstarter if there's not that audience for it, right? You put your, you put your marketing together, you put your page together. You only, you don't have to spend, you can spend nothing up to maybe five or $10,000 putting together like a cool video and a pretend version of it or something. And if it flops, it flops and you kind of just move on and create another version or something. Right. But you got to do it now. Yeah. And, and um, building off that, I'm, I'm picturing the listener out there who may like the idea and want to do it, but they don't have 
the fully fleshed out skills to be able to, to launch this as, as well as someone like you would be able to do, right? And for them, maybe just putting up the Kickstarter page, they would be more susceptible to someone copying it and stealing the idea. This isn't for the average entrepreneur. Like if you're like, I'm just trying to make some money. This isn't something for you. This is like, I want to have an impact. I want to create a significant company. I'll, this could be the next Apple, right? Like you start with a wearable on the, on the face and you build up from there. So this is for really ambitious, driven startup founders who want to have a really big impact. This isn't a cash flow business. This isn't like make six figures type of cost you six figures to get it off the ground, frankly, right? Just like on an MVP version. So it's for people who are ready to dedicate their lives towards that type of mission. Could have a lot of fun with this up front too. I think like networking with designers, you know, people who do product design or um, like ergonomic design, things like that, getting, building a team of the right people who have these interesting skills and just like having a lot of fun creating something. What I'm really enjoying about the way you're bringing to it is there's utility is a piece of it, but aesthetics and pleasure and, you know, kind of enrichment of the life is also a piece of it where you can actually dig into that and enjoy what you're doing, even though it might be a difficult project. I think you outlined the action steps pretty clearly here, but there's one that I want to dive in a little bit further on. Seth Godin argues that you should call Kickstarter kick finisher because oftentimes the most successful projects on there, or in order to be successful, you need to already have a list of people who are interested in your idea. It's hard to just put up a page on Kickstarter. So how do you think about attracting that email list of people that you could launch this Kickstarter to? Now, here's one of my instincts, but I'm curious, Chris brought up this problem of, well, what if I'm not good at Kickstarter? I've never done one before, or I don't have a following, I don't have an email list. Uh, I wonder if you can find people who kind of consistently done kind of cool product Kickstarters. I, I feel like there's probably a few of them. I don't know off, off the bat, but they did one. They did another cool product, another cool product. You connect with them. They already have a list and they're interested in partnering to kind of put this together and promote it to their list. Another thing I'm thinking is something like Dyson, right? Dyson, it, during the pandemic, famously, you know, was approached by uh, government to create a respirator that they could manufacture quickly. And his company went and they put this together and they developed this really cool respirator. Within, you know, a few months, they had, had put something really cool together. So I bet even someone like Dyson himself would be really enthusiastic and excited about that idea, maybe even interested in partnering. And of course, he's got clout and influence and and a following and all of those things. So it's just, I guess it's a matter of how much you want to give away. But anyways, you, you're nodding on camera here. The listener might not know that, but it seems like you're interested in this, but is that the way you would think about it? Would you seek out partnerships like that? person like Dyson is probably one of the a great partner, right? Because look, this is an opportunity to own the most valuable real estate on a human, which is their face. Right? You could own that real estate. So imagine the brand that figures that out properly. So this is like a winner take all kind of thing because it's a connected device. It's a, it's a wearable thing. So it's like, it's not, if people are going to, there's no, you can use, you're, you're, you're going to create this market essentially at that point. You're the, you're the iPod, frankly, you're the iPhone. You're going to build this market up and then you own the market. And then if people do wear face masks, guess what? That's your market forever. Unless somebody builds a better face mask, but you probably have a really big head start and you can create some kind of network effect. 
you can connect the face masks, start creating some kind of network effect if you're really smart about it. And then boom, there's like a $100 billion company right there. You talked about this being a $100 billion company. You mentioned Acadium potentially having a big impact. I checked out one of your tweets and said, how stressed can you really be about losing some money if you planned on giving it all away anyway? Yeah, so I'm a big fan of stoicism. And I read uh, stoicism every day. Actually, I read every day. It's part of my morning routine. And I, I share a lot of it on Instagram, actually. So anybody who's listening can follow me on Instagram and get some of that live. So they fear, everyone's living in this fear mentality and saying, look, it made a lot of sense when you could like walk into a trap or an, an animal that's going to kill you or a food that's going to poison you or a cliff that's around the corner. It a lot of sense, this, this fear mentality way back in the day. It's just not the case anymore. Now everyone has this, this, this part of their brain that's ancient. And it's, it's still an important thing, but it's not as relevant as it was. And they're afraid. They're always living in fear. And they're like, whether it's afraid of losing money, which is a big thing, it doesn't matter to me. It's not tied to my happiness. It's not tied to my identity. It's not tied to anything that I hold valuable is something that is directly within my control, not controlled externally. Because then you're always relying on external things for your own happiness. That doesn't make a lot of sense to me. This is all particularly relevant to Chris, who who has lost, who has recently lost, told me he lost sleep over his uh, poor investment decisions, <laughs> or actually not poor investment decisions. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that's a little extreme. <laughs> Let's say uh, just thinking about investments, because actually you've made some good investment decisions, but the, just having to think about them so much is something that's kind of caused you stress. I kind of see you watching. I'm wondering if you're thinking about that. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, that's why that quote stuck out to me is that... Uh, no, once you get above a certain threshold in which you don't have to worry about survival, then all of the rest of it is not nearly as important, which I think that's what Mo is uh, getting at here. And the threshold is not that high. And I, I made some dumb investment decisions and I wasn't upset about losing the money. The key thing that really upset me was the undisciplined action that I took because every single time I've lost, it was, I, I was undisciplined as an investor where I use my emotions and I, and I over bet on the stock thinking it's earnings are going to be better than, and it's like, that's not the way you should invest. You know, that's not the way you should invest. You got to diversify your asset classes uh, across time markets and, and asset classes. And, but here you went all in on Amazon thinking that their earnings report is going to be stellar and you got greedy so that your emotions make a decision and you're going to pay that price. And I'm okay to pay that price actually, because it's, that was my mistake. So I'm not blaming the market. I'm upset at myself, you know, my lack of discipline in that regard. I want to ask you, I want to take advantage of the fact that, that you're here, you know, you've talked about this idea. I think we've got a lot of information on how to start it, why it's an interesting idea. You know, it's not all on the table. There's a lot there for the listener. I want to take opportunity that you're here and you, you know, you run Acadium and I want to see if, are there any trends that you're seeing, like just kind of seeing the way that people are interacting on the platform and the way that work is going um, that might be valuable to our listeners as they're thinking about starting businesses, whether it's this one uh, with the face mask or, or a different business, what's going on with the state of work and learning that you're seeing uh, these days? I mean, learning is a joke. Higher education is a joke. 
for the most part. Like who's going to pay $141,000 to go do remote learning online right now in, a, in higher education? It makes no sense. So that system is fundamentally broken and it's shifting right now. And you're seeing a lot of schools suffering. And you're going to see a lot of schools shut down because of this, because people are not willing to pay that money for the content, which is what it is at this point. Like if I can't use your pool and your gym and go on all these dates and these parties, I'm not paying for school. It has no value for me. It's not a signal as it was anymore. Work experience is a better signal than a degree is. So there's a lot of changes happening in higher education. And frankly, people are sick of student debt, right? They're, they're waking up. Social media, everyone knows that it's a big con. You know what the number one degree is in the US? Psychology. You know how many job openings are available in psychology over the next decade? There's less job openings than graduates this year. Where are they going to go? They're going to have to find new jobs, new careers. But here I have this thing that says, I have a degree, a bachelor's degree in psychology, plus you need a master's to actually get a job in psychology. So it's not even, you're not even there yet. So why is it the number one sold degree? Would nobody tell these people that the job demand's not there before putting them, charging them $141,000 of money? No, they didn't. Why? 17 years old, man. They're kids. How do you do this to kids, right? So it's just like, they don't know. There's What, what, what other options do they have? They don't know what they want to do with their lives. And they need to have forward momentum or what they think is forward momentum. So with Acadium, it's like, you can get your forward momentum. You can try marketing, graphic design, content writing. You can try SEO, social media. You can get the experience. You can get mentorship. It costs you nothing. It's free. You get trained for free by people like you who are great mentors on Acadium and are willing to train in exchange for this help that they get. Just to call out this general theme that you're mentioning and just to make it more explicit, mentorship and facilitating mentorship, whether Acadium is doing it or anybody who's launching a business wants to find other ways, like people need to be connected with mentors. I love this idea. Personally, you know, I, I have a background in, in piano tuning, which is like a, an apprenticeship, you know, legacy, right? But it, it, we weren't even doing apprenticeships very well, you know, several years ago, I started an apprenticeship program in the piano industry and that's missing. It's, it's like you said, what's better than learning directly from someone who knows what they're doing. And there's a lot of demand out there as Acadium grows to fill that demand, but also anybody that has the skills to even just connect people. You know, if you know how to connect mentors with people who need training and, or even yourself, if you have an ability to train people or show them something, recognize the value in it, right? Would you agree that that's just like a general trend? It's very, if you want to talk about missed opportunities, everybody's just like, they're not seeing it. They're, they're not noticing that how the value of mentorship. There's degrees of learning. And the best learning you could do is one-on-one -on -one learning, one-on-one -on -one personalized learning. And that's what an apprenticeship is, is there's somebody with the experience and there's somebody who's a novice. And the novice learns from the person with experience with feedback and guidance. Okay. So like when I say mentorship, there's like, it's kind of a vague term in a way, right? But so there's specific feedback and guidance. Here's my feedback on your work. Here's a guidance how to do it right. Then along the way, there's a mentorship sprinkled on where it's like, well, how are you doing? How's your life going? Do you know what, you know, what are you looking to do? I'm like, can I help you in a way? Like that's a mentorship layered on the, in the apprenticeship model, at least. And it's very, very powerful. All you need is one person to believe in you to change your life. That's it, just one person. I want to call back to your to your mentors to, to the whole mentorship thing. And it might be a good way to kind of bring us out a little bit. 
Who's been your mentors? So I've had like people who give me mentorship, like to have a mentor per se, like nobody. I was like, can you be my mentor? This didn't exist. Like, the, How do you find that person? You go and have the awkward conversation. Akkadian didn't exist when I was growing up. This wasn't there. But I would love to have worked under a startup founder for a few years even, and I would have done it unpaid. 100%. Give me like a great founder to learn from. Yeah, I'll do it. You tell me what you need, sir. I'm going to be there. I'm going to learn from you. And you're going to network with me. And I'm going to network with your whole network as well. And, and so my own personal mentors have just been anybody along the way that I think could, could teach me something. Like right now, it's one of our investors. Gave, gives me mentorship. Another one before. Um, some other startup founders in Ottawa. Uh, CEOs that I connect with. But those are like ad hoc. Those are like... I need some advice. It's more like well, advice. Well, that's a really good. That's really good information um, from Cheryl Sandberg's book. I think it was Lean In, um, or might have been another book, but she it might have been both books. But she talks about how people are looking. They just want to walk up to someone and say, "Hey, will you be my mentor?" You know, and then and she's like, she's like, "This is terrible. Don't ever do that to anybody." Right? She says, "You get a mentor by being mentorable." You do something that someone takes an interest in and you get a mentor and they come to you or you meet them and they sort of take an interest in you. So I think what's, what's really interesting about the way that you're putting it out there is like you took that attitude. You went, you did stuff yourself and then mentors showed up along the way and you didn't call them a mentor and they didn't call you an apprentice, but you were you were valuing that relationship, taking that information away from it in that sense. And they may even be mentoring you, but they're not calling themselves a mentor, but they think of you as someone like a mentor would wanting to do you favors and help you along your way. And I think it's interesting you're, you're running Acadium because I think that's part of what drives people like you and maybe even me and maybe even Chris. We didn't always have that mentor that you wanted to just walk up and say, will you be my mentor? <laughs> but but we want people to be able to have that because we wanted it. We wanted someone to just walk up and say, I'm your mentor. I believe in you. I just want to do, you know, so it's great to have a place where you can match with people. Yeah. We're coming up on time here, Mo. We've covered a lot of ground to the listener out there who is enamored with this idea of smart face masks or has taken some inspiration from this conversation and, and wants to start a different business idea. Let us know how you're going. Email us at update at runwithit.fm. Tell us what actions you've taken as a result of this conversation. That will be uh, fantastic feedback for Mo and us here at Run With It. Mo, we talked a little bit about Acadium. People can go to acadium.com to learn more about that platform. Where else should listeners go to learn more about you? Instagram, Twitter, at Real Mo Bass. Real, like the real, and then Mo, M-O-E. Then Abbas, A-B-B, as in Bob, Bob, A-B-B-A-S. Perfect. Thank you so much for the conversation, Mo. To the listeners, take this idea and go run with it. The podcast hosting for the Run With It podcast is provided by Transistor.fm. They host our MP3 files, generate our RSS feed, provide us with analytics, and help us distribute the show to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. 
If you want to start your own podcast or you want to switch to Transistor, go to transistor.fm run, that's R-U-N, and get 15% off your first year.